I think we all can agree that our world is changing, right? And that things around us change fast. But back up a little bit. Let's get some uh, degree of perspective, some, some degree of big picture perspective. Uh, for, for centuries, for just century after century, change uh, that came in the world, it, it came very slow. It was a, a slightly upward line of linear change. But now the change we experience is just skyrocketing exponential change. Uh, what changes in our world? Uh, so many things. Countries change. When I was a kid, there was a nation called the Soviet Union. People talked about it all the time. It doesn't uh, exist anymore. The universe is changing. When I was growing up, there were uh, nine planets in our solar system. Poor Pluto. Technology uh, is changing around us. Um, I read recently that the number one nation of, of internet broadband penetration what would you guess it would be? The nation that leads the world in internet broadband penetration, what would it be? Look to the person next to you. Just, this is random, I know, but just take a guess. What would that be? The correct answer, Bermuda. Okay? USA is 19. Japan uh, is 22. Our, our, our world is changing. Countries, uh, the universe, technology, the culture itself. Uh, in uh, February... This month of 1969, a woman in Great Britain uh, was quoted as saying <clears throat> that we will never, uh, not in my lifetime, see a woman be prime minister of Great Britain. The woman who said that was named Margaret Thatcher. We experience change, don't we? And let me ask you, in fact, let's, uh, let's uh, do a survey. Let's uh, even get a show of hands. Um, how many of you are going through a season of change? If, if you're going through any of these, just raise your hand in the last 12 months. How many of you uh, have gotten married? Yeah, congratulations. Um, how many of you have had a baby? How many of you have uh, changed jobs in some way for good or bad? How many of you are driving a new car just over the last 12 months? How many uh, started at a new school? How many, uh, some of you are raising your hands a lot. How many of you, how many of you uh, got a new boyfriend or girlfriend in the last 12 months? Yeah. How many of you want a new boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> right now? Yeah. Here's what I know about change. Wouldn't you agree that we hope for change, we long for change, we pray for change, we plan for change, we dream about it, but then when it comes into our world, we stress out about it. Uh, I know of a family that uh, lives out west, and they've got a little boy named Petey. And little Petey was uh, seven years old at the, at the time, and they just noticed that whatever uh, Pete loved, he latched onto, and he wouldn't let it go. Pete hated change. You know anybody like that? Know any kids? I mean, just a real big time phobia when it comes to change. Uh, they had a little vest and Petey loved his little vest. He would wear it all the time, literally every day. He would go to sleep in the vest. His mom would have to rip off the vest to wash it and Pete would stand by the washer and dryer waiting for it. They had a van, an old ugly van that was in really bad condition. Outside it looked tough. Inside the fabric was being torn and faded. It was a mess. There were, uh, you know, just stuff all over. And a, another family gave this family, little Petey's family, a brand new van as a gift. And they were so excited. The new van had uh, swivel seats and cup holders and a DVD player and a jacuzzi, all that kind of stuff. They were just so excited about the van, and they brought Petey out. They had his eyes covered, and they opened his eyes, pulled the hands, his hands away from his eyes, and said, ta-da. And Petey said, where's our old van? And he went back inside and burst into tears. And good parents, they do what they do, right? They went inside, and they uh, attempted to console him and also convince him and ultimately asked the question, what is... What does the old van have that this new van doesn't have, Pete? And he said, this seven-year-old sobbing said, memories, memories. And you know, some of us are that way. We just don't want to let go. And psychologists, they have a, a way of quantifying some of this. They call it LCUs, life change units. And they talk about how... LCUs, when they uh, become so great in our lives that we get on overload, we, experience, we begin experiencing anxiety and expressing hostility, and we have hypertension and high blood pressure and headaches, and we begin to have chronic resentment and bitterness and sink into depression when the LCUs become 
so great in our lives. And the very people who hope for change, pray for change, long for change, dream about it. When it comes into our world, we stress out about it. And I'm convinced that over 3,000 years ago, the Israelites were on overload with their LCUs. They had moved away. They had been released from captivity. And wouldn't you think that um, as they were waiting year after year after year for their deliverer and God used Moses, the very man we're studying about, to deliver the people from their captivity, they were ransomed, they were released, and they were walking in to freedom. And wouldn't you think that these people that were released from their captivity, that being poverty and oppression and forced labor and genocide, yes, the very uh, killing of their own children, wouldn't you think that they would be the happiest, most grateful, the freest people on planet Earth? But they, the Bible tells us, they slid back into grumbling and complaining resenting the very change that God had brought in their lives. And I'm convinced from a leadership standpoint, what a great man Moses is to study from just a leadership perspective. But I believe that Moses' greatest leadership challenge was not convincing Pharaoh to let the people go. Moses' greatest leadership challenge was leading the people through the season of change. And we're going to look at various scriptures. We're going to put some scriptures up. And I want, to, I want us to look at this one question as we uh, study Moses and the people of Israel. As we look at what makes change so hard. Let's focus on that very question. What makes change so hard? And deriving this from the unfolding story of the Israelites with their leader Moses. I want to give you three reasons this morning that change can be so hard. The first is that we tend to glamorize the past. Anybody? We, we, we tend to do that. Look at this passage in Exodus chapter 16. I believe it's verse, verses 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Really, y'all? Really? When we sat, notice the past tense, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Really, there's something about us, we can do that very thing. We can glamorize the past. Do you ever glamorize the past? Do you ever look back and become a, a revisionist of history? When things get hard in the current situation, do you do that? That's what the people of Israel did. A second thing that we tend to do is we overlook the good things right now. The very good things that God gives us. Look at this passage in Numbers. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but what? This manna to look at. If you're really digging deeper into the study, maybe we're a small group, it'd be good to study with a good commentary just that word manna uh, and what it is it's kind of like frosted flakes back then for uh for god's people really a beautiful study if you want to do that but I, all this manna circle that word you all that's all we have what were the people saying there some of you don't know the the history the context here let me let me share it with you they were having manna for breakfast for lunch and for dinner now they had forgotten they had forgotten what they'd come from. They'd forgotten all that God had brought them through. And here they were overlooking the very blessings of God. They had manna hotcakes and manna waffles, manna bagels and manna burgers. They had manna cotti and <laughs> manana nut bread. I mean, they had manana this and manna that, right? And they were like, Lord, what are you, what are you doing here? Do you appreciate the gifts that God has given you? Are you overlooking those? I mean, isn't it good that God was providing for his people? And it was, by any measuring stick, far better than what they've come from. But they complain. How can you lose sight? Let me ask you. How can you lose sight of slavery, captivity, forced labor, oppression, poverty, and genocide? Do you think you could? Do you think you would gripe about manna? But I'm telling you, some of us in glamorizing the past... We're overlooking the very gifts that God gives us in the, in the presence. One family I read about had, has 12 children. And they were asked, 
if you could go back and do it again, would you still have 12 children? And they said, yes, just not the same ones. <laughs> Are you grateful? Are you grateful for the gifts that God gives? Um, a third thing that we do, and um, which makes change so hard, is we glamorize the past. We overlook uh, the, the things that God gives us here in the right now. And then thirdly, we fear the unknown. We're afraid of the unknown. Now, it's a, a simple Bible story for, for some of you if you were churched as, as a child. But there's um, a scene. In fact, let's look at that verse here just for a second. I'll talk about the context in a minute. You remember Joshua and Caleb? And so Moses uh, sends the people, um, sends spies 12 spies. He sends them on a reconnaissance mission to see what is uh, out there. And you begin to see who really is seeing things God's way and, and who's not. And Caleb, along with another one, was, was solid. It says here, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. But not everybody Saw it that way. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. There you see, overlooking the present, the blessings that God had given them, glamorizing the past and being afraid of what was out there. They had forgotten God's provision. They had forgotten how the plagues had garnered their release, how the Red Sea had been parted, how they were being guided by clouds uh, during the day and a pillar of fire by night, how God had given them the manna and allowed the death angel to pass over their sons so that they could live and continue to move and go forward to the promised land. And here's what we know in Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, verses 2 and 3. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness, verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. They're really scared themselves, right? They want to blame the wives and children, but they're just uh, scared. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Two spies seeing and believing what God had set before them, believing that if God promised there would be a better day, then guess what? There would be a better day. But ten spies freak out. Ten spies, what do they see? They see a predicament. Now, we've got a lot of language in our day to describe a predicament, don't we? We say that uh, we're in a pickle. We say that um, the, we're in a pressure cooker. We, we say that we're um, in between a rock and a hard place, that we're backed up against uh, the eight ball, that we're dead meat, that we're up a tree, we're up a creek, we're up a, tree, a creek without a paddle. We're, we're in a lot of pressure, right? And there's a, there's a predicament that these people are in, but are they going to see things the way God wants them to see? And what happened? These 10 spies, do you notice this? They rubbed off on all the people. So let's do some math here. 10 spies eventually rub off on a, about, historians estimate, about 2 million people. You believe that can happen? Do you believe that certain leaders can do that? Do you believe that things are contagious? Could it be, uh, we know things are viral now, right? But do you think that 10 people who are negative Nellies can invariably affect, infect a couple of million people? There's a saying, stupid rubs off. Who believes that? Do you believe that? Some of you have friends, and they can't finish a sentence without cussing. Do you think that rubs off? Absolutely. Some of you, you have some friends, and they can't do any work without cutting corners, and they put forth the least amount of effort possible. Does laziness rub off? 
You've got some friends, they're a powder keg of emotion. And when, thing, when something uh, rubs them the wrong way, they're going to let every, they're just going to release that valve and let everybody know, do you think that rubs off and affects people? And there are people who don't see through spiritual eyes, and they are going to murmur and grumble and gripe, and do you think they can rub off on other people? And people that are afraid of the future are people who just don't have sound hope. And that rubs off. I want to be a leader that believes in the great virtues of God, gives us faith, hope, and love. I want to be a man of hope, and I want to offer you hope even when you are in a pickle, in a pressure cooker, up a creek without a paddle, that you would believe that God has something for you, even if you're wondering and you're waiting and going through a tough season of change. And here... I believe we see, we see how the negativity and the, the fright of a few rub off on so many. What then, we've, we've answered the question, why does change, why does it seem to be so hard? Let's, let's close in asking this question, how can we navigate change? The first, I want to give you quickly, three real quick, is to live with a real sense of gratitude. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6. Now these things, by the way, if you look, if you have a study Bible later, maybe some of you will do this in your personal study or small group, you'll see 1 Corinthians 10. It says that this was the nation of Israel. It's a recap of Moses and his leadership and what was happening back then. And it says these things were written for our instruction, for our warning. We need warning, don't we? And it warns us against some things that can really harm us. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 10, I believe it is. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You see, we think grumbling is a small thing. How many of you believe that? I'm just grumbling. I'm just talking bad. I'm just talking about the preacher and the sermon. I'm just talking about bad about that. I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about it's not a big deal. Right, But here you would see that thousands of years later, Paul puts grumbling right up there with idolatry and sexual immorality. Now, let's just play a game for a second. If you went home today and you noticed someone in your family had made a, a golden cow or a wooden image and were down worshiping that, would that trouble you a little bit? Right, Just a little bit maybe? You'd maybe want to have a conversation, maybe just quietly walk away and certainly pray for them. Right, Or if your marriage gets hit by a lack of trust and you suspect something in the way of infidelity or immorality, is that a small thing or is that a big thing? We now have a counselor on our part-time staff. We want to meet the deepest needs of, of our congregation. And he's available one full day a week, and we've already heard that he needs help. That he's had to farm out some because people need to talk and 75% of us right now are wanting to come talk about our marriages. Can we love and trust this person anymore? Those are big things. Uh, we're not making fun. We're not making light at all, but idolatry and sexual immorality are big things, right? And Paul is saying, hey, let's learn from the Israelites. Let's learn what a big deal grumbling is. We need to live with a sense of gratitude. Now, let me, let me be practical this morning. We all need to learn an important phrase. In fact, in fact, I think it's so important that I want us to say it together as a congregation, even if you're up in the balcony. I want us to say this loud, okay? I want us to say the important phrase, and I want you to say it this week. I want you to say the simple phrase, it could be worse, okay? So let's say it together, okay? It could be worse. Let's say it again. It could be worse, so when you open up your visa bill and you see all those charges, I want you to say, when you see that, say what? It could be worse. And when you get in your car and it's got 240,000 miles and it's clunking down Lakeland, I want you to say, it could be worse. And when you go home to your house that needs a lot of work and you don't have the money to repair several things around your house, I want you to say out loud, it could be worse. And in the morning when you wake up and you look over at your spouse, I want you to say, But hey, am I right? Am I right? It could be worse. And as, as rudimentary and raw as that sounds, 
I have found myself saying that at times. And when I say it, when I say it out loud like you did, it really does. It really serves as a healing bomb in my life. And I realize in the moment when I say it out loud, it's worked many times. It's, it's kind of magical, honestly. I, should sell, I could sell that. But really it is. Seriously, it is. It's magical. And there's just something about it because when the words go out, it reminds you in a very real way that you've got some blessings in your life. And God wants us. He wants us to cultivate gratitude. The second thing that we can do is we can cling to the rock. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 again, this great section of Scripture, just verse 4. And they all, the people of Israel, they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Beautiful, isn't it? You know, as we've transitioned and are transitioning here, as we're forming a relationship with Woodland Hills, as we've secured our future for Fondren Church to be here permanently, for this to be our permanent home, they have celebrated us. Uh, how many of you are here March the 30th when we had our very first worship service? Wasn't that a great moment? And as a lot of you stood up and you applauded the wonderful people of Woodland Hills to have such a big heart to see what God was doing and to make this thing work. But it hadn't been easy for them. They've had to put up with you, right? They've had to put up with what some of us wear and what, how loud some of us are and just the, the sheer parking stuff and people coming and just the excitement and all the children and your children's messes and all. And even though they celebrate it, they've, they've been a little hesitant to say, are we doing the right thing? Because, you know, after all, Fondren Church is non-denominational, right? I mean, what do we really believe? And right before attorneys were beginning to sign a legal binding contract this past summer, uh, some of the leaders of Woodland Hills, and I respect this, they wanted to make sure that we were always going to teach the Bible. They wanted to make sure that we were always going to be a Jesus church. And I want to tell you today that we made a commitment to them, and that is our commitment, to always be that kind of church. To always preach Jesus. Even when we're preaching the Old Testament, we preach Moses as a Christ figure, just like it said in 1 Corinthians. Do you get that? We always want to preach Jesus. We want him to be the authority because he and he alone is the rock. You know any moody people? A woman wrote, my husband was accusing me of being moody. So he went out and bought me a mood ring. And when I'm in a good mood, it turns green. When I'm in a bad mood, it leaves a red mark on his forehead. <laughs> you know, people, we go up and down, don't we? People change. Friends move away. As we found this week, a neighbor, neighbors die. People let us down. Even uh, bosses and people that you love, they, they go away. And the mercurial topsy-turvy temperament of some of us are a daily reminder that we are not the rock, but he is. And in a, a, a passage I quote a lot in Weddings, Hayes and Alley, I think I quoted in yours from right here back in December, James 1, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Not that a spouse is a perfect gift, but a good gift, I guess. Every good and perfect gift is from above, but Jesus alone really is the perfect gift. And it says that the, that the gifts come from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Someone's quoting it with me. Is that the same version, Deborah? Well, there's no shifting of shadows. What does that mean? That means there's not even a hint of God being moody because he's the rock. Number one question workers ask when they come to the office, what kind of mood's the boss in? But God never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. God is never in a bad mood. And just as there's no hint, no shadow of changing in God. And let me say what this does not mean. It does not mean when it says that God is the rock, it doesn't mean that he's distant. It doesn't mean that he's frozen. It doesn't mean that he's impenetrable or unmovable. It means that he cares for you and you can count on him. God has never let anybody down who has lived according to his promises. And guess what? You will not be the first. 
The grass withers, Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This morning, we want to call some of you. I think we've got 15 more Moses books left for sale after the service. I would love for you, uh, 15 of you, uh, to grab those books. Do you know that 3,000 books are published every day? Can I say that again for effect? 3,000 books are published every day. But there's something utterly unique and endlessly powerful about this one. It's the most widely read, the most broadly published, the most studied book. It's elicited the most scholarship. It's influenced more people and changed more lives. Be careful with this book. Many people mistreat this book and misuse it to prove something that it does not say. But it's a powerful book that can cut through the darkness, that can convict of sin, that can open our eyes, that can produce repentance, that can promise comfort, that can offer guidance. This is the book that God has given us. And it is a rock on which you and I can stand. His word, it is true. Lastly, the third thing, how can we navigate change? beyond living with a sense of gratitude, uh, beyond clinging to the rock. I'll say it in closing. God wants us to walk by faith. Hebrews 11. I just put this one up there. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. This is just an example. We're not preaching Jericho today. But those first two words, by faith, by faith, by faith. Hebrews 11 tells us faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for. He that believes that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that is what faith is and that's what faith can do. That's what it can unleash in our lives. I'm going to make some of you nervous now, but faith needs to be unleashed in your life. Are you living by faith? How would you even know? Is there anything about your life that says that you're living? By faith, a a man fell and he fell off a cliff and he was able to grab a branch and he held that branch for his dear life and he screams out, help me, somebody up there, help me. And he hears a voice that says, I will help you if you believe. He gets gladness in his heart and the voice to him says, do you believe that I will help you? He says, yes, I believe. The voice says, do you believe I have the power to help you? He says, I believe that you've got the power. Do you believe I love you enough to help you? He says, yes, I believe you love me enough to help. And then the voice says, well, then I will help you. Now let go. And the man says back to the voice, is there anybody else up there? And faith is that very idea, isn't it? How will you know if your faith is being guided or your life is being guided by faith? Are you able to let go? Whatever you're trusting, whatever flimsy little security blanket you have in your life, are you willing to let that go? Are you willing to let go of idols in your life, other things that you're trusting in? And some of you this morning, this is a real easy sermon point. I just need to say this and move on and wrap it up. But for some of you, you know what you need to let go of. And it requires you to believe the voice, to believe the loving voice of your Father who is able, who wants to, but wants to activate that faith as you express it and as you let go. And sometimes, y'all, that means you go first. Now, I believe every act, every human act, is a response to God's love. We love because he first loved us. There's no good that we can do. But I believe that faith, for it to really mean something, it's got to be released in our lives. I want to close by reading something. A pastor that I admire, he and their church, a few states over, were talking about what their church ought to, ought to be about what they're trusting God for, and what what does a disciple look like? Because I think their church is maybe experiencing what our church is right now, where we've been together for a few years, we've got this building, we've seen God do a lot of things, but what are we really trusting Him for? And if we're not careful, we'll get lost in an endless maze 
of religious activities and stuff. What is it that we really want to produce? Gary preached the first sermon of 2015 right here saying that we want to make disciples. And what does a disciple look like? This pastor says that their mission statement is to help people in a, to lead people to a growing relationship with Christ. But we felt like that needed further definition. If someone's in a growing relationship with Christ, what specifically is growing? Her hair? His beard? To make a long series of conversations short, we determined that faith is what grows in a growing relationship. Specifically, a person's confidence in God. Confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he has promised to do. Faith or trust is at the very center of every healthy relationship. As trust goes, so does the relationship. A break in trust signals a break in the relationship. Sin was introduced to the world through a choice not to trust. In the Garden of Eden, humanity's relationship with God was broken when Eve and Adam quit trusting. God has been on a quest ever since to re-engage with humankind in a relationship characterized by trust. The entire Old Testament is a story of God saying, trust me. It's no coincidence that God didn't give Israel the law until they first learned to trust him and follow him. With that as a backdrop, we shouldn't be surprised to discover that at the epicenter of Jesus' message was the word believe. Just as humankind's relationship with God was destroyed through a lack of faith, so it would be restored through an expression of the same. At its core, Christianity is an invitation to re-enter a relationship of trust with the Father. At the cross, sin was forgiven, and we were invited to trust. Intimate relationships are not built on obedience. They are built on trust. Walking by faith, again, is simply living as if God is who he says he is, and he will do everything he has promised to do. As a person's confidence in God grows, he or she matures. Jesus was ever Always amazed when he saw expressions of great faith. Big faith was a big deal to Jesus. When people acted on what they believed about him, he was impressed. And we are as well. Isn't it true that we love the stories about people in our church who trust God against all odds? We revel in the accounts of teenagers who decide to live out their values at school because they believe God's promises. What about those hospital visits when you walk in praying for the right thing to say and you're greeted by a family whose faith in God is staggering? They are confident, no fear. I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times when I've driven home from a hospital visit wondering why they let me be the pastor. As I write, I'm reminded of one couple. He goes on to tell the story. As our team at our church continued to, continue to wrestle with the relationship of faith and spiritual maturity, we all agree that we're way more inspired by the people who have the kind of faith that endures a no from God than those who claim their faith arm-twisted a yes out of him. Big faith is a sign of big maturity. The best discipleship or spiritual formations or small groups, a church activity, be one designed around growing people's faith. The bottle most of us have grown up with was designed around increasing people's knowledge. But what we need is a faith that is real. Like you, I don't want to build a church full of people who simply know the Bible I want to build a church full of men and women of great faith, men and women who are confident that God is who he says he is, that he will do precisely what he said he will do. Yesterday, some families came to our church to serve. Simple day. They made cards for patients at a nursing home. And the parents oversaw it to some extent, I guess. And the kids wrote these cards, and they were given a lot of freedom. It was a real thing of beauty. And the children took these cards to a nearby nursing home here in Fondry. And Emily Hood, our children's minister, sent me a text bragging on my own 10-year-old. And she said, Wesley was in the, in the hospital over there. He made these beautiful cards, and he prayed for these patients. And a couple of them, including myself, they, they started crying when he prayed. He prayed this beautiful prayer. And I was hanging out with friends yesterday far from here, and I text my 10-year-old son, because we can do that now, and I hit him up on his cell, and I said, your father's proud of you. I heard God used you today. He said, Dad, it felt great. It felt great to be used by God. A couple of the patients started crying, and you know, I got some in my eyes too. Isn't it a beautiful thing to see someone who says it's not just in our learning, but faith has got to be, you got to take steps. you got to take steps. I pray for you today that God will use some of this practical stuff from Moses to help you navigate any change in your life. Let's pray.
We're going to close our service in a moment, giving uh, you a chance to be prayed for. As Topher and the team come, they're going to lead us, and we're going to stand and sing. And we do this often, but I pray, I'm praying today that uh, if there's any of you that are going through a change, that you would allow us to pray for you today. That we could come around you and trust, trust the rock, trust Christ to be your rock. Father, we want to give you these few moments as we stand and sing and later as we worship you in our tithes and offerings and then we go. We want to give you these few moments, Father, for, for us to sing to you, to respond in song, the fruit of lips that give thanks to you. And Lord, I pray that we would pray prayers of faith for each other. And Lord, fear is very real and it wants to block faith in our lives. And I pray, I pray, Jesus, that you would reign supreme and use these moments in a way that's simple and that would honor you. In you we pray. Would you stand and would you sing and would you give us uh, an opportunity this day to, to pray with you and for you about something in your very own life?
Jesus, we praise you today for your love, God, for your favor, and ultimately, God, for your faithfulness to us. May we experience half of what you show to us in faith. God, give us strength. Give us wisdom. These are the things that we desire. We desire to long after you. Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for us on the cross. We don't, take the, we don't take these lyrics that we sing lightly. We know that this is truth. That you were lifted up to die. You were put into a grave. But that you rose. We did it for you. We sing it for you. God, take this offering now that we give to you. Bless it. Use it for your kingdom. Use it for your glory. It's your name that we pray today. Amen. The power that brightens the storms brought to life my soul. Now I'm calling from rooftops, shouting from mountain peaks. Your grace amazes me. Forever I will tell you, yeah, I'll scream until it hurts. That I can't live without you. You saved my life, I know that I'll always 
Amen. Before we go, uh, we've been starting to introduce some of our new members here at Finder Church. We've been a church about three and a half years. And over the last six months or so, we're moving into membership. And so we want to take a few minutes over the next several weeks to introduce those that have, that have completed the membership class. If we'll go ahead and start with that, Will. Well. This is Amy Bales. Amy's one of our college students. She was baptized here not just a few weeks ago. All right, yeah, y'all give it up for Amy. This is Parker and Chelsea Berry. Parker's an attorney in town. If, if you've been down to the children's, uh, uh, new children's wing, uh, uh, Chelsea is an artist, and some of her art is hanging down there. Yeah. This is Keevan and Lynn Buckaloo. They're in uh, the niece and lum small group. I just got to meet him the other day. She has served in our children's area along with my wife uh, for, for a long time now. This is Francis Carter. Francis has three children, Drew and Katie and Fran. Excuse me, this is Cynthia Carter. And Cynthia has three children, Drew and Katie and Francis. And uh, she also serves in our children's area. David and Jennifer Duke, uh, they're both state graduates. Uh, he is an electrical engineer. She's a school teacher. She majored in music. They're in the Austin Moore small group. This is Rod and Betty Lynn Freeman. I first met them uh, on the balcony or on the porch there at Walker's about in September. I don't know if they're here, if they remember that. But they're a great couple, and they came up to me last week. They went through prologue, and they said, well, did we make the cut? Well, now that you've made the picture, I guess that means you've made the cut. So they're a great couple. 
This is Dr. Melinda Gann, one of a uh, good friend of mine for a long time. Melinda has been a part of this from the beginning. She is a uh, teacher of math at Mississippi College, but she has so much more knowledge, and she shared that with us. She is now uh, in England for this semester, leading a, a group over there that's studying abroad. So she'll be back in the summer. This is Drew and Allie Mellon. Uh, Drew works at Swellophonic, but he also works with his sister Allie, not to be confused with his wife Allie, who uh, they have this ministry called The Hard Places that we partner with in Cambodia. Uh, Allie is a librarian and one of the smartest people I know. Uh, this is uh, Nicole Mullins. Nicole's one of our college students, and she has just gotten back from uh, Passion. And uh, this is not to be confused with the Christian singer Nicole Mullen, but this is Nicole Mullen's plural. This is Cliff Osmond. He, he looks familiar. He was greeting today on the, on the back steps there. Uh, Cliff's in pharmaceuticals, and uh, I owe Cliff a phone call, and he's looking at me right now. This is Haley Pardue, like me, she is a twin, but uh, Haley has been in our college ministry and then in our singles ministry, and now she is engaged and will be married this fall and will become in our couples ministry. This is David and Aaron Sandlin. They're in the uh, Moore group. They both went to Millsaps. I haven't had the privilege of meeting them yet, but I look forward to meeting both of them. This is Caleb and Lauren Snyder. I've been told that he is a Bellhaven track coach, so uh, I would probably need some pointers for him as I try and make it uh, ready for my marathon. This is Sam Thomas. Sam's an artist. She graduated from Bellhaven. She has been serving in our children's area for the past three years and has done a phenomenal job. We love Sam. This is Drew and Mary Claire Wardlaw with their daughter Caroline. Uh, he, I have been told, is a powerlifting coach at uh, Germantown. So if you uh, are interested in powerlifting, he's the guy you need to see. Uh, this is Dr. Scott White and his wife, um, Deborah. They have been here since the beginning. Scott is on uh, staff and a professor at Bellhaven College. Deborah has been very involved in the Red Door tutoring that we've done uh, since we last couple of years. She's been a big, big part of that, and uh, we love them. And this is Griffin and Lindy West. Uh, I actually grew up with Lindy's mother, and we just kind of uh, met again here a couple of years ago. Uh, we, they were in our, we were their leaders in their first small group here. They've just had their first child, Vivi. And uh, Griffin is uh, in residency as oral surgeon at UMC, and Lindy is a nurse, and they're a great, great couple. So... That's, that's our list for today. If you would like to become part of that list, we ask that you do three things, that you uh, get involved in our membership class, which the next one is March the 29th here uh, on this campus. So sign up for that. Look for it on the website. We also ask that you become part of community, that you find a small group to be a part of. I can help you with that. If you're not in one of those, please let me know. And the third thing is we ask that you serve in some capacity here. You can do that on Sunday mornings or other things through the community. We're going to give you opportunity to do that. But that's what we ask. We also ask that you uh, share your story, your story, your God's story, your story about Christ and the gospel in your life so that, that, that we, you can identify with, with our mission statement here. But we appreciate you all being here today. Uh, you all stand as we go. And I'll pray for us. God, thank you again for the day that you've given us. Thank you for these new members to this church, God. And we just pray that you will put a special um, sense in them to do the calling that you have on their life, not only through their families, but through this church and this community. We are so thankful that you give us the awesome privilege of serving you here. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you all. You have a great day.